Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Uh, welcome if you're in this room, Center Court East or in Center Court West, whether you're in the Woodlands campus today or maybe you're worshiping online somewhere uh, near or far. Glad that you're worshiping with us today. So I think it was about three weeks ago, I was shooting baskets in the driveway one spring evening with my two boys. And I saw a man walking down the road towards us, and he kept coming closer and closer, and finally uh, he hollered out, hello, Pastor Ken. I didn't recognize him. I said, hello, how are you? And he came up and he identified himself, said, we've not met, but actually we go to your church and it's good to meet you. I wanted to come and meet you, but I wish it wasn't really about what I'm coming over here to tell you. Well, at this point, he had my attention. And I said, well, all right, what, what's on your mind? He said, well, I wanted you to know, and I'm telling the other neighbors, that our van got stolen uh, the other night. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, and it happened by, in the following way. He said, uh, while we were asleep, all six of us, in the middle of the night, they came in through the dining room window, uh, s- just threw the screen off and, and, and threw it out in the grass and, and uh, stepped in and seeing our keys there on the table, came no further, took the keys and stepped back out and took the van. I said, you're kidding. In the middle of the night they did that? He said, Yeah. Right, and we were all asleep. I'm just grateful the keys were there, and they didn't come back any further. And it's like, oh my gosh! I said, so did, did like, did you have the windows closed or open? Or he said, well, actually, we'd been airing the house out because it's a pretty spring day, and and we'd closed all the windows and we locked all the windows. It's just that one window apparently we hadn't latched, locked. Um, and that's all they needed to come in. He said, so anyhow, that's, that's what I wanted to tell you. And I was like, wow, well, good to meet you. And I'm the, thank you for telling me this. You know, I can't stay. I need to go and start latching my windows and, 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 and making sure that we're all you know, locked up for, for the night. He said, well, just pass it along. I'm just kind of telling all the neighbors. Just to, you just got to make, make sure. Now, I tell you that story because I think it illustrates perfectly what we're going to talk about today, and that is that we have enemies who would like to steal, kill, and destroy, sure, in the natural realm, but we have an enemy in the spiritual realm who would like to do that to us as well, and he's who we're going to talk about today. The reason we're going to talk about him is because the Bible talks about him a lot. As a matter of fact, Peter talked about him at the end of this letter that we've been looking at here in 2016. We're up to 1 Peter 
5. And so why don't you turn there in your Bibles? And if you need a Bible, you just raise your hand in whatever room you're in. The ushers are coming, and they'll be glad to let you borrow one. And you can keep it. It's our gift to you if you need a Bible. Um, and we'll go to 1 Peter 5, looking at verse 8. While you're turning there, I'll anticipate, uh, probably there's any number of you who right now are thinking, okay, no, wait, 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 wait. So you mean we're going to talk about like the devil, Satan? Uh, isn't that a little Middle Ages for us, Ken? Like a guy with horns and a jumpsuit and all that kind of stuff? Well, yes and no. Yes, the devil, Satan. No to the horns and the red jumpsuit. Uh, though in some ways it would be a lot easier if that is how uh, he presented himself so conspicuously as that. Um, Satan would certainly like nothing more than to have us think of him as a cartoon or sort of a symbol or just sort of theoretical but not real. And yet the Bible is unambiguous about him. And Jesus there's no ambiguity in Jesus. Jesus talked to him as well, confirming his reality. In fact, Jesus uh, never referred to the devil, never referred to Satan as an it or a that, but used personal pronouns, he and him, and highly descriptive terms, calling him at one point a murderer, from the beginning, the ruler of this world, the father of lies. And so you and I, we can't very well with intellectual integrity go around just arbitrarily saying, you know what, I just love Jesus, I love being a Christian, he's my Lord, he's my savior, I particularly love what he says about everlasting life and that I'll live with him in heaven forever. Now, you know, the stuff that he says about the devil, I kind of filter that stuff out. You know, wait, 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 wait. How could you be so arbitrary? If, if he really is the Lord of your life and you've entrusted your eternal destiny to his care, then who are you to come along and say, well, but you know, he didn't really quite understand the whole thing about devil and evil and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't make any logical sense, does it? And besides, even if you said, you know, I, I just don't want, I, I just want to be Switzerland on this. I don't want to really take, you know, I'm just kind of neutral. I don't really know what I believe. And, and, and maybe that way he'll just sort of leave me alone. And, and I don't want to think about Satan and Satan's reality and this sort of thing. Well, let's just suppose for the sake of illustration, there is no Satan. Then you have to come up with a philosophical system that gives you sufficient answers as to how something as beautiful as humanity can do such horrible things to one another. Like how else can you explain grown men joining ISIS and lining up other grown men who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, putting them in orange jumpsuits, having them kneel down beachside and decapitating them? You say, well, you know, they just, they're uneducated. They need more education. No, no, no. They're very educated. It's not an education problem. Or how would you explain the, you know, things like what happened in Paris several months ago as people just murder one another? And the terror that abounds seems like all around increasingly. Or how would you explain 
if there's no Satan, the thousands of girls who are trafficked right into our country, right into our city here, and forced into sex slavery. How would you explain that? If there's no Satan. And even closer to where you and I live. Who do you think is working behind the scenes on young girls particularly? Trying to convince them if they don't look like the cover of glossy magazines, they're worthless. Who do you, th- who do you think whispers in your ear, it'll be all right. Just this one time. Nobody will ever know. And plus, you've been under a lot. You really, you deserve it. But the instant after you've done it, who smothers you in guilt and condemnation and yells in your other ear, what a terrible person you are. And you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> now, all of that happens in mere minutes. You don't really think you're that schizophrenic, do you? Oh, he's, he's real. <laughs> he's crafty. He's sly. He's cunning. He's worked in the shadows of darkness for thousands of years. And that's what Peter was trying to remind his readers. You remember, these are the readers who are reading this letter we've been looking at. And they're hunkered down off in, in modern-day Turkey where they've fled for their life. Persecution's broken out. Um, and they've fled from Jerusalem. And, and their minds are whirling about and they're trying to understand what's going on. And people are getting killed and, and for their faith. And we have that faith, same faith. And why are we being persecuted? And Peter's going to remind them here at the end of the letter, oh, there's, <laughs> there's someone behind that. Let's look at what he says. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, for our purposes today, there's three things that I want to lift out from this brief passage. If you're a note taker, you can jot them down. Here's the first one. He says, first, be alert. That's the first thing he says. Be alert. Why be alert? Well, because the devil doesn't come around with a pitchfork. If he did, we would have to be alert because we'd say, there he comes. We, you, you could see him coming a mile away, but he's much more clever. He's much more deceiving and subtle than that. In fact, Jesus described him at one point as a sheep in wolves' clothing. He's all into the cover-up, deception, thriving in the shadows, all the while masquerading as an angel of light. We know from Matthew 25, Jesus said, hell was not made for people. I think we sometimes get that wrong. Hell was never made for people. Matthew, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, no, no, hell was made for the devil and their angels, but misery loves company, and the devil wants to get as many people and drag them there as he can with him and his minions. He wants 
all of humanity, if he could have it, to burn in hell forever. But see, he's not there yet. He's still here on earth. Oh, he's going there. We know that from the end of the story. And then he'll be there uh, forever. But for now, he's here on earth. And he's working here in our midst. And that's why we have to talk about this today. And the Bible says that he's allowed certain liberties and freedoms to move about and, and to work. And though he is on a leash, sometimes I personally wish the leash were a little bit shorter, right? Because the world is the devil's oyster. It's his platform of attack. And he's working on us. And he's out to get as many people to hell as he can. And the only antidote is Jesus. Because when you, when you declare your allegiance to Jesus, you've said, he is my savior. And I'm moving out of any kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Christ is my king. Christ is my Lord. He's my savior. And that's what we've been talking about in this whole series. But don't think that after turning to Christ, that he, the devil, just gives up on you. Oh, heavens no. He just changes his objectives. He says, well, if I can't win the long game with you, I'll play for the short game with you. I'll try to bring as much hell to you as I can for the rest of the years that you have here on earth. And I'll try to make your faith as spiritually weak and anemic and impotent and make you as ineffectual as I can with your remaining years here on earth. How? By getting you distracted so that you won't be focused on the mission of spreading the cause of Christ. And helping other people come from the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so he says, I'll I'll get you all preoccupied so that you're a watered-down Christian. Pretty much useless to the expansion of the kingdom of God. And he gets us distracted by getting our eyes focused on non-eternal things. Non-eternal things like what? Oh, like your career, your job, your projects your toys, your lusts, just about anything that can keep you preoccupied so that you're not focused on Christ and on helping other people come to know Christ. And see, the devil, all he needs is one unlatched window. That's all he needs, just one unlocked window to come in and to wreak havoc upon you. And you know what cracks the window open to him? Anything in your life that isn't surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'll illustrate. Several years ago, a lady came into the office and uh, needing to talk. And she made an appointment and we sat down. And so she said, I, I need to talk about something that happened in my family. I said, okay, well, what happened? She says, well... Recently, my husband was on a business trip, and it was over in the Austin area, 
And so being summertime, I thought, well, this will be kind of fun. One afternoon, I, I said to the kids, let's just load up and we'll drive over and we'll surprise dad and we'll have supper and, and then we'll have a slumber party in the hotel room. Then we'll pack up and get out of his way and he'll go on to his meetings and, and we'll come on home. I said, okay, good. She said, oh, no, it wasn't. She said, so we drove over, got to the hotel, went in the hotel, went up to the room, knocked on the door. And I could all of a sudden hear commotion behind the door and talking. He was talking with somebody, and it wasn't me. And so we kept knocking, and finally he came to the door, and he said, I, I can't open the door right now. And the kids were confused. Hi, Daddy, open the door. Daddy, open He said, no, no, uh, take the kids down to the pool for a little swimming, he said. She said, at that moment, my heart just broke, just sank. She said, I took them farther than the pool. I just took them back down to the parking lot and put them back in the car and said, Daddy's sick, and we've got to go. We, 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 this wasn't a, such a good idea after all. We've got to go home. And she said, I just tried to hold it together and keep from sobbing in front of them until night had fallen fully and they'd fallen asleep in the, in the back of the car. Now, let's rewind and look at that story that she was telling me with spiritual eyes wide open. What happened? Trust me. That man's problems did not start that day on the trip. They started years, op- years earlier when he had cracked open a window to his soul and looked at a pornographic website, which became two, which became three. And instead of bringing this out into the open and doing what James said, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed and liberated from those, he went underground. He kept it secret, locked it down, kept it up on the inside. And before long, he was fully addicted to pornography. Kept telling himself, I'm in charge of this. I'm in control. I could stop it. But he couldn't. It had him. But why just look at pornography if you could actually go further? And so over time, he began to live a double life. the night she described, that's when the bomb exploded, but the fuse had been lit years earlier. And all the while, the devil just stood off in the shadows, arms crossed, smirk on his face, saying, got him. And got another marriage along the way as well. See, through untended lust, flirtatiousness, maybe at the workplace, for for that matter, work, just workaholism, wealth, image uh, sort of fixation and image management, 
popularity. Really, any of these things, you have to realize, friends, any of these things, if you don't fill them up with Jesus, any of these things can be used by the devil, and all he needs is just to get his fingers underneath and pry it open. Just crack it open. That's all he needs, and he will come in and wreak havoc. And that's why Peter says, wake up, be alert, realize what's going on here. This is serious, friends. And incidentally, wherever in the past in your life you might have given him some access in, you didn't latch up a window, maybe the message for you today is you need to draw near to a brother or a sister in Christ or a pastor here or your grow group leader. Or somebody who loves Jesus, who just to come clean with them, to get it out in the open so that you could start journeying towards health. If that means that then you need to get into a recovery program, you get in a recovery program. If it means you need to get into to a, a, a financial um, recovery sort of program, you get there. If it means you need to get into marital counseling and swallow your pride, then you be there. I'm telling you, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Somebody once said, the devil's enticements will always take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. So wake up. That's the first thing. Peter says. Then he moves on and says, and be sober-minded. Why this language about being sober? Because when you're not sober, your your mind gets blurry. Your sights get blurry. You don't see things accurately, and you can get knocked off your game. And so he says, be sober-minded, which is another way of saying stay self-disciplined, stay disciplined in this thing. In the spirit realm, the devil wants nothing more than just to get you just a little bit. You don't even need to get wasted, spiritually speaking. Just a little tipsy, just a little buzzed, just a little off your game. That's enough for him to get his fingers in and to start to work in your life, giving him a foothold. What's a foothold? Some of you are climbers. You could get up here and talk about footholds better than I can talk about footholds, but as I understand it, what footholds are is when you go to one of these climbing places and you have the walls and the, the or you go to real cliffs and you climb, you're, you, the, you're trying to find those little gaps that you can stick your toe in so that you can climb up. And that's a biblical picture. In fact, Paul, in another place in Ephesians, he's going to say, he's going to talk about anger, not lust. In this instance, he's going to talk about anger. Look at what he says in Ephesians 6, uh, 4, 26, and 27. Don't, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So he's using a little different metaphor. Um, he's, um, he's talking about the, the foothold that we can give. So you can talk about a foothold, you can talk about an unlatched window, you, you, whichever you want to talk about, you got to watch out because he is looking for opportunities 
to pounce on you. I think about it every time I read about a shooter who's gone berserk and wiped out another person or group of people. And many times you get back into the story and you find out what was going on inside of that person. It was anger that was untended. Usually you rewind that person's life and somewhere back in the past, some years earlier, there was, there was some sort of hurt, some sort of rejection that went on in his life. And that festered along and was turned into hatred and bitterness and it never got resolved and it was never brought into the light and talked about with somebody who could help that person pray and surrender that to Christ and let Christ's light and love come in and infuse that person and give them grace to, to forgive and to move on. No, 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 that, it, it didn't happen that way. And so that bitterness and that resentment and all of that hatred gets stockpiled in there and this anger. Finally, this individual who never dreamt of being in national news ends up the headline story one day why anger got a foothold friends we're living in a nation of people who are giving the devil a foothold through their untended anger anger that hasn't been surrendered to christ for crying out loud there's an entire political campaign that's being constructed right before our very eyes through the leveraging of anger Open your spiritual eyes and see what's going on. The devil loves a cracked window of untended anger. He'll use that as a foothold every time, which is why Paul is saying, Peter is saying, deal with this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It gives the devil a foothold. We have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He will pounce on you. He'll come in any which way you give him access in. Any aspect of your life, any mood, any emotion that isn't surrendered fully, totally to Jesus Christ. That's why Peter is saying you've got to be sober-minded about this. Alert, sober-minded. Pastor Dan, when I was running through with him a week or two ago what I was going to talk about, he said, oh, that reminds me of but talking about lions, that reminds me of when I was in Africa for a mission trip some years ago. And at the end, we tacked on a, a safari for a day or two. And he said, which was generally fun and interesting, but a little bit unnerving. Why unnerving? I said, well, unnerving because you can hear the roar of lions and unlike the zoo where you have a you know there you're there and they're there and you know everybody's all there together you know and he said so he said i remember particularly that that night when uh the guides took us to the little shanty that was our cabin it was so flimsily built he said if a roaring lion had taken a notion to just pounce on it, i think it had just toppled over but this is where we're going to be for the night and we could hear the lions through the through the walls and he said the tour guide uh put him in the in the shanty he and his uh, tra fellow travelers and pastor dan said tour guide's last words were do not come out i'm going to lock you in and under no circumstance do you come out unless we come to get you in the morning. Otherwise, you do not go out. Dan is like, don't worry. 
we're not. But almost as if to accentuate the seriousness of what the tour guide was saying, Dan said, he, he added on. He said, yeah, the tour guide did. The tour guide said, yeah, we used to have a cook who worked on our team. And one night he couldn't sleep. And so he decided he'd just get up and take a walk in the woods. The next day, all we found of him was his head. Dan said, it was a little hard to sleep that night because he was so sober-minded. He was so alert to what he was hearing and where he was and what he should not do and where he should stay in order to, to be safe. And, you know, that's actually... a pretty good posture for you when you're in the midst of a real lion. I think the problem is that you and I don't realize we are. You are in the midst of a real lion every day. You just don't realize you are. And this is why Peter is saying, hey people, you need to be alert you need to be sober-minded about this. See, our lives, we can get so easily inebriated, figuratively and, uh, and literally, where we're losing control, certainly with substances, but we can get blurry-eyed you know, in our anger, in, in our lusts, in our greed, and he will jump on any of that. That's just enough buzzed on these emotions that have gone bad that he'll take that as access and he'll begin to work so is there any hope yeah there is hope and that's what we'll close with this is the third thing peter says third point you can prevail how do you prevail oh he's going to tell us he's going to say so resist him by standing firm in the faith now, that's a little counterintuitive. Resist him by standing firm. Personally, I might have thought he had written, resist him by running for the hills. But that's not what he says. How do you prevail? He says standing firm. Standing firm where? Standing firm in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, who's more powerful than even the lion, Satan. He's saying, so, so Peter's saying, so you don't have to get all psyched up and, and freaked out about this and go into every day going, ah, who knows what's going to happen? Can I eke out a victory with the, with the enemy today? No, he says, you can. You can prevail. How? By resisting him, standing firm in the faith. So, Let's make sure that we understand. He's not calling us to some sort of Herculean effort on our own part standing firm. No, no, no. He's saying standing firm in the faith of Jesus. You're, you're not standing on your own strength. You're standing on Christ's strength. Because the enemy is strong. He is a lion, but he's not stronger than Jesus. Remember, why did Jesus come into the world in the first place? John tells us in 1 John 3, 8, he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. 
And, and, and you see it starting to happen when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus steps onto the stage of human history. And you see Jesus begin to do damage against the kingdom of darkness. How is this manifested? Well, when he would see disease, Jesus began to pull that disease out of people and infuse healing into them. And where he saw women who had been sexually violated or emotionally uh, abandoned, what did he do? He drew out of them, he abstracted out of them their shame, and he infused into them forgiveness for their sins. And where he saw hurting people, Jesus stepped into their world of hopelessness and pulled that hopelessness out of them and infused hope into them. And where he saw men who had thrown their whole lives away chasing after money and ostracized themselves against every friend they ever had, what did he do? He pulled that distorted worldview out of them and instead replaced it, depositing a heavenly perspective. So even when his ministry just was starting, you can see Jesus was doing damage to the kingdom of darkness. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Why do you suppose, don't you realize, this is why you read in a, t- a, a, a time or two where, where Jesus steps up to, to a situation where there were demons. And what did the demons do? It says they shrieked out, ah, no, Jesus, ah. Why? Because they knew this is the real king. This is the king of all kings. He has all power. And in one instance, they, they, they say, you're ahead of schedule. It's not time yet. You're not supposed to be coming yet. Because they knew. You're going to do us in. So that's why he came. And as he did damage to the kingdom of darkness, and as he began destroying the works of the devil, he lived here on earth the life of perfection and sinlessness that you and I couldn't live, which qualified him then to die the death of suffering and consequence and persecution that you and I all deserved to die. And that's what we celebrate this week, this holy week, when he went to the cross. And and because he had lived this life of sinlessness, he could rightly step in and say, I will be your substitute. I'll pay the price for your sin. And I'll die in your place so that you don't have to die in your sins, so that you can trade my righteousness for your sinfulness. I'll draw out of you your sin onto me, and I'll infuse into you righteousness. Is that a trade you want to make? That's that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why he came, to destroy the works of the enemy. And don't you know that after he died on that Good Friday, the devil fought, got him. Got him. For a couple of days. Until that first Easter. And it was on that first Easter that the devil learned He was only a second-rate lion. Why a second-rate lion? Oh, because remember at one point, the Bible calls Jesus the Lion of Judah. 
And Revelation makes clear, in the end, the Lion of Judah defeats the Lion of Satan. And so the day is coming, we're told in Revelation, where the Lion of Judah is going to fire the Lion Satan once for all. And by firing, I don't mean just you're off the job. I mean fire as in hell, where he'll be sentenced for all of eternity. That's good news for us. So, my question is, where are you in this spiritual struggle and this spiritual battle that goes on? Because, see, Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom. He hasn't completed it or um, consummated it. That will happen on the final day when he comes back. And at that point, as C.S. Lewis said, the day for deciding will be over. You will have chosen your team. Whose side will you be on? But in the meanwhile, there is this struggle that goes on. My hope is that you'd leave today not with your hands ringing, thinking about, oh my gosh, this is just a lot of, oh, I might get tackled by the devil. No, no, no. But that you just stand firm in your faith. For Jesus Christ because it's only in him that you can prevail you could never prevail on your own strength none of us can none of us are strong enough to overcome the lion called Satan only the lion of Judah can do that only he provides the resources that you need you say what resources well I'll rattle off three briefly and then we're done I think of prayer he gives us the, the, the Lion of Judah, Jesus, the King of Kings, says, hey, I've given you direct access to me. You could be talking to me all the time. I say in my word, pray continually. I, I teach you to pray, lead me not into temptation. But if and when I am led into temptation, deliver me from evil. I, how much plainer can I make it to you, Jesus is saying. But any number of Christians who I see mauled by lions, you, you trace it back, and they had anemic prayer lives. Their prayer life was just non-existent. So how's your prayer life? Are you you, you want to stand firm in the faith? How's your devotional time? How's, how are you doing, carving out, prioritizing, talking with him, your lifeline? to the king of kings. And then the word, the sword of the word. He gives you God's, God, God's very word. And so here's the benefit of it. See, the devil comes along and tries to put false words into our brains. Uh, evil, wicked, demonic, demented, suicidal, wacky, crazy th thoughts. But the more that we saturate our minds with God's word, this is why it's so important to be reading God's word, memorizing God's word, and listening to messages where as you're driving along, you're hearing God's word preached. Why? Because the more of your brain that's filled up with God's word, the less room there is for the devil who roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour to get any room to put any thoughts in your brain. 
And don't you know that even as Peter was writing this, he was surely thinking, boy, I really didn't draw on these very well 30 years ago that night that we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had, I had Jesus right there in my midst. And he said, now I want you to join me in prayer. But I didn't pray. I fell asleep. And then when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, I drew my sword as if to say, I'll fight this battle on my own. And slashed off the soldier's ear, probably trying to slash off his whole head, and it probably just missed and got the ear. To which Jesus had to say, no, 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 Peter. This isn't how it's going to be won. And so you have the resources. You have resources of, of prayer and, and turning to God's word and filling your mind. And then the third one, the last one, community. You have each other. We have each other. See, when you declared your allegiance to Jesus Christ, when you surrendered your life to Christ, when you became a follower of Jesus, you went from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, which means that you came into the family of fellow believers, And there's a reason that we talk about the importance of being with other Christians, particularly in smaller groups. And that's why we talk about small groups. I did a little research while I was studying for this message about how lions work. Found it interesting to discover that lions tend to isolate on animals that are particularly vulnerable because they've become separated from the rest of their herd. Maybe they just got a little bit distracted and the herd went on and they didn't go on. Or maybe they have an injured leg or something and they're hobbling and they can't keep up. But for whatever reason, the the lion isolates on the vulnerable, lonely animal. And that's who he's going to pounce on. And very similarly, friends, that's how the devil works upon us. And so who is your herd? If you're by yourself, don't you realize you're particularly vulnerable? This is why we say get in a grow group. Because, yes, you can stand firm in the faith, depending solely on prayer and upon his word. And if you're ever put in a culture and a context where you have nobody, then that will have to do. But in most instances, certainly if you live around here, you have this extra one at your disposal, and that is community, where you have a brother or a sister who comes in and locks shoulders with you, and you do that two or three or four or 10 times or 15 times, and they're locking arms around you. Now there's strength. There's protection in that. And so I ask you, who is your herd? Who's your, who's your little group? Who are your people that you can call on and say, pray for me about this. I am struggling or I'm being tempted or he's really coming after me. I need extra fortification. You've got to have that. You have that. You do have that. Well, you should have that. Do you have that? Get in a group. If you're not in one, tell us on the card. Call me this week. I, I need to get in a group. I want to try being in a grow group and having some people that I could call by name and do life with. And grow with. You see, the benefit of all of these resources that we have are that they serve sort of like the the spring buds on a tree where the leaves are starting to come out. And any old residual leaves that didn't fall off in the fall but that are dead get pushed out. And that's how it is. When we're depending on prayer, when we're depending on his word, on community, it, it it, it doesn't leave any room for the deadness and brings life, the life of Jesus. 
And so we'll close with that. Have you trusted him? The king of kings, the lion of Judah. Have you given your life to him, really? I don't mean just ostensibly sort of in name. Well, sure, I'm a Christian. No, really. I mean, are you living for him with your spiritual eyes open? Learning to see all of life and all of the things that are going on in your life through that spiritual lens and realizing it's only through Christ that I will prevail. If not, give yourself to him. And if you have, then I exhort you with all the passion I can muster. Realign, recommit, even today, yourself to going back into your life, even this week, with your eyes wide open. Not to be fearful, not to be wringing your hands, but all the more um, committed to standing firm in the faith that Jesus gives us of the ultimate victory. Trust in him. Turn to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the word that you give to us through Peter, who even though writing this 2,000 or nearly years ago, it's so relevant the enemy is still working in our world. He maybe seems like he's almost working better than he was 2,000 years ago. More Christians being persecuted and killed for their faith in the last century than all the other centuries leading up to it. People getting footholds of anger, giving the enemy opportunities, shooting people all over the world and it's just hard not to see how he's working. But thank you, Jesus, that we have hope, that we are people of hope, that even in this fallen world, even where there is a lion who roams around and is prowling and wants to pounce on us, that we need not try to muscle it up on our own, but just to stand in the safety, the security, the fortress that is Jesus. Lord, won't you help us to clothe ourselves with you, to put you on Jesus, to suit up with the armor that comes only from you so that we might just stand firm. For any who are here today who've not really ever opened up their life to Jesus in the first place, Lord, my prayer is that even in this quiet moment, in whatever room they're sitting in, or even if they're sitting at home just watching online, that even in this quiet moment they'd say, yes, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I need you to be, I want you to be my savior. I want in no uncertain terms to drive a stake in the ground and say I am becoming a follower of Jesus. I'm coming into the kingdom of light and of victory. And for the rest of us who We've done that before. But maybe we've gotten a little sloppy in our game. Maybe we've gotten a little inebriated in all sorts of different things. Maybe substances, but maybe not substances. Maybe just emotions and lusts, and greeds, and anger, and all these sorts of things and that get us off our game, cause us not to be alert anymore. Lord, won't you wake us up and help us to fix our gaze back 
upon you, the giver of life, the King eternal, so that we might go from victory unto victory. We pray all these things in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello, my name is Adam McIntyre, and I am here with Pastor Ken Warline, who just uh, finished the fourth and final part of the Overcome series. Pastor Ken, thank you so much for being here with us sure. today. Today's sermon was particularly challenging because we were focused on uh, Satan, which yeah. is a very uh, kind of confusing and um, troubling, divisive figure, troubling figure uh, throughout Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of questions come in. And so um, we'll start off uh, here with a, a question about... Um, anger in scripture. Um, this person uh, sees Jesus um, and he has this righteous anger at times um, in the gospels and then he sees throughout the Old Testament um, God gets angry uh, quite often with Israel and so his question is to what extent is anger considered bad for us um, according to scripture? Yeah and, and what the questioner is referring to is the middle point where we were talking about not giving the devil a foothold exactly. um, as Ephesians 4 says. Well so I, th I mean, anytime we see God, be well, first of all, I think we've got to let God be God. Right. But if we were to do a little analysis, God's anger is always at sin, rebellion against him. And these are the things that uh, upset him. Uh, I think probably let's take the camera off of God and put it onto ourselves. So how do we know if our anger is a righteous anger, a right anger, or a wrong anger? I think the answer is, let's look at what is it leading to? Um, so I think of William Wilberforce, who was angry about uh, slavery. Right. Well, he channeled that, and, and slavery was sin, and he could see all of that and, and, and put all of his time and energy and life into dismantling that system. And so there was anger used in a godly sort of way. Now, I'm sure that there were many people who had slaves who were angry at Wilberforce or at their slaves. That's a different subject. Right. That's not godly anger. So what is it leading to? Um, where is it coming from in your soul, and is it is it driven against sin, and are you just stewing in it, or are you allowing God to use it to be channeled into ways that could be constructive um, in eliminating whatever you know sin right. it is that's upsetting you? Right. I think we have to be careful because I think a lot of times though we assume that our anger is righteous. Right. And so we hear about a friend who said this to that, this is godly anger. Nah, I don't know that that's godly anger. I think that may just be you. And that might be something you need to surrender because you don't know all stores, all sides of that story. You weren't there, you love your friend, you're gonna hear it through his or her you know, lens. But I think we need to be careful to too quickly categorize our anger is a godly or a righteous anger. Right, yeah, there's a big difference between righteous anger and then selfish anger. Sure. 
and one leads to the kingdom, and then one leads to a foothold, right? Yeah. And uh, speaking of footholds, there was a, another question that came in that was, they wanted to know practical, uh, as they put it, shoe leather ways um, to shut those, those windows that we may have left open. Um, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that I got it distilled down towards the end of the sermon as, as clearly as I could. Let me hit those again. We've got the resource of prayer. We've got God's word. We've got community. So let's get even more concrete. You're in the throes of temptation right now. What do you do? Close your eyes for a second and just say, okay, Lord, now I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your fortification because I'm being tempted in this moment. Number two, call your Christian brother or sister, if you're a lady, up. Your accountability partner, your, your friend from your grow group or whatever, say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling those feelings. I've got that temptation. Pray for me. Uh, right now. Just there's something about speaking it aloud of just, exactly. it just kind of pops the balloon. Um, if we'll get it out in the open, confessing, as James said, confessing our sins uh, so that we might be healed to one another so that we might be healed. Um, so confess it, get God's word into it. Either you type up a list or write down a list of here's my top 10 favorite verses on temptation, uh, reminding yourself um, you know, here's what God's word says, or have your friend read those to you in that moment. Um, or even just say, if it's really, you know, you're, uh, would you come over? Or let me come over to your house just so I'll know that I'll not do what I'm being tempted to do. Right. Well, hopefully that's shoe leather enough. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Especially the confession part, that can be so tough to do because it, a oh, lot yeah. of us feel well, because we're shame. proud, right? We're, we're proud. proud, exactly. But that's actually one of the most helpful tools we have for shutting those windows. Absolutely. Uh, that's actually getting it out in the open. Absolutely. Um, all right. So our next question uh, is is kind of a philosophical question about Satan. If Satan was defeated on the cross, sure. um, then why is it that he still has power to this day? Yeah. Right. Well, theologians refer to. Um, this as the already, not yet. It's already happened, right. as I tried to illustrate towards the end of the message. Jesus, when he came onto this scene of earth, he began to, to do uh, warfare against right. the powers of darkness. And the, the, his kingdom was coming and inaugurated and started and the demons were shrieking back. It's, it's not time yet, and you know, these sorts of things. So it has started, but it hasn't been completed yet. And that'll happen on that final day where, where as C.S. Lewis said, uh, that there will be no more deciding that day. Right. The, that, that time will be past. And so we live in this middle time uh, between the, the, the commencing of his kingdom, but not the consummation of his kingdom. Right. Uh, so they call it, uh, theologians tend to refer to this. The, so we live in the already, not yet. Right. So the devil has already been defeated, right. but he's not yet uh, laid out. Here's an example. I was uh, thinking about how um, in our garden, I don't know, about a year ago, a s snake 
came along. The boys were so excited. I was a little bit terrified because it was, it was a good sized snake. And I don't know a good snake from a bad snake, so in my book, they're all bad. Sure. So I got the hoe out and I went to town and took the head of that snake off and the boys were fascinated and <laughs> took my phone and showed pictures. And Well, even when the head was off, the tail was still moving, which was kind of freaky because I'm thinking, okay, is another head gonna pop out? I mean, how does this work? You know. And, well, in the nervous system of a snake, it just, it takes a while for the message to get all the way down. You're dead. Well, in a similar way, that's how Satan is. I mean, it's, it's over. He's lost, but he's still thrashing around and going to do as much damage as possible um, in this time of waiting, but already not yet. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, even thinking about how you said his kingdom was inaugurated here, mm -hmm. but then it'll be fully uh, consummated when he returns, yeah. right? The wedding feast. And, but even right now, we also have a responsibility in, in building that kingdom Absolutely. and that building process. And that's what we need to put yeah. our minds on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a Experience great way of thinking of it. Kingdom. Absolutely. And then uh, another question about Satan. Um, this person said they always thought of the devil of being both of hell and of earth at the same time. Um, so the question was, so is Satan not in hell yet? Um, yeah, and, and that probably was not made. I probably didn't speak that uh, the way that I wanted to say that as clearly as I would have liked to have said. It ties into what we were just talking about. So in this already not yet, he's thrashing about here on earth. Right. Where's command central? I've I tend to think of him as hell, although there's a lot of evidence. Oh, he's right here. And in several instances, you read about how he's uh, the, uh, the, the, the prince of this world and these sorts of things. So he's very much here, but we know ultimately he'll be fully there. Right. Um, but since I haven't been... I can't exactly tell where he is. And so that probably, I, I probably spoke uh, something that is a little bit, that, that's complex. Absolutely. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, there's a lot we know about Satan. There's a lot we don't know about Satan too right. at the same time. Um, this was, uh, we got another question um, that said, they were wanting to know how can you tell when slash if you have fully surrendered something to God? Sure, look at the fruit. Right. I mean, um, what is coming out of you is, is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, uh, forgiveness, um, mercy, uh, you know, are these things coming out of you? If so, and you're not just contriving that up, just, but it's really coming out of you, then it sounds like you've surrendered. Um, on the other hand, where there's the root of bitterness right. uh, or anger or lust, it, uh, um, somebody who's really in your life close up is going to be able to say, there's inconsistency here. Right. This is the, you, you, this aspect of your life is not surrendered, yeah. and you need to be real before God about this, and let go of this. That's helpful. 
yeah, so if you see those, those uh, things sprouting in your life that aren't of the, of the spirit, sure. like fear, anger, jealousy, lust, then... Yeah. The proof is in the fruit. Yeah, exactly. what's, what's coming, what's bubbling out. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly helpful, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last question, um, they wanna know how is it that, um, is it possible, I guess, for Satan to influence Christians sure. if we have the Holy Spirit? Is yeah. that possible? Yeah, yeah, right. And you, in the literature, you can read all sorts of things. People like to parse out possession, um, oppression, um, you know, and say, well, you can be this, but you can't be that if you're a Christian. You can be not possessed, but you could be oppressed. And I read an illustration that, that I'll just personalize because I think it, it answers this just very concretely and, and, and helpfully. Suppose, well, first of all, I own the home that, that we live in. So I could bring here the, the title and the deed. Right. Boom, there it is. Now you see it. Now suppose for the sake of illustration, uh, one day in the winter, uh, the doorbell rang and uh, a, a guy or two are standing there shivering and they say, hi, uh, we don't have a place to stay. We hear that you're a pastor and so we assume you're nice because our pastor is supposed to be nice. You know, and could we just stay here for the night? We're not harmful people. We're not going to hurt your family. You know, would you just give us a shelter? Just suppose I was of a notion to say, all right, just go in this room, stay on the sofas, don't go out of the room. And then tomorrow you're on your own. Right. Suppose they said, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. But suppose the next day they said, you know, thank you so much. That was, you know, tonight it's supposed to be even colder. Um, one more night maybe? Right. And suppose I said, okay, one more night. And then suppose they did that the next day and the next day and the next day and for weeks. And now it's been a month or two months or three months until finally my boys and wife are like, for crying out loud, when are you going to get these guys out of here? Right. They, they, they're calling this place home now. Right. We're getting their mail, you know, and, and, and so who would be to blame for that? Well, I would have. Why? I cracked open the door. I didn't just crack open the door. I opened the door and just let them come right in. And I think that's a good picture for what we who love Christ do. And we say, well, just one look. What harm could that do? Um, or one little angry meltdown, it just feels so good. And, you know, and, or any number of things. Right. I rattled off a bunch, workaholism and our image control and our popularity, and we get fixated on it. Any of these can serve to just open the door and he just comes walking right in and we'll try to nest and stay and not leave. Right. And I think that's where we just have to have eyes wide open, um, our spiritual eyes wide open to, to just see more clearly. Absolutely. He, he's always ready to, to right. come in when we'll even just barely crack the door open. Absolutely. Well, that's why it's so important to practice self-discipline too, because it's so easy to compromise sure. on sin and to just think it's not really that big of a deal, but then it turns into a very big deal before you know it. Yeah. Destroys many a life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Ken, for joining us. And thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week. 
Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.